Did you know you can get pre-qualified leads at no extra cost through the TD Auto Finance TD Wheels app? Contact your dealer relationship manager today or call us at 1-855-TD-AUTO-1 to find out more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the March 24th, 2023 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. Volkswagen on March 13th said it will build its first North American battery plant in St. Thomas, Ontario. And my guest today will put that decision into context. Tell us how many direct and indirect jobs it will create, what the decision says about Canada's role in the global auto industry now, and why the government is justified in spending taxpayer money on private investments such as this. All that and more when we hear from the Managing Director of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing, Brendan Sweeney, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Brendan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's been a while and I'm glad to have you back. Hey, thanks, Greg. Great to be back. Let's start here. How big is this announcement when compared with similar announcements in the past? And I'm talking about things such as Toyota's first Uh, Canadian assembly plant, for example, or the return of truck production to Oshawa recently. Put this promise and this investment from Volkswagen into context for us. I think that in, you know, 10 or 20 years, we'll look back and we'll see that this kind of might be tied, uh, you know, 1A, 1B, 1C with Toyota and Honda coming to town in the in the late 1980s. Uh, certainly, the the LG and uh, and Stellantis battery plant is really critical because it's the first. This one, though, we might look at it and go, well, this might be the biggest. Details to follow, and and I'm just kind of going off, uh, you know, just the size of the the plot of land that they're going to build the plant on. It's also really significant, and uh, you know, historically or if we're living in the moment, it's really significant that this is the first new automaker we've added to the mix since Toyota and Honda came to uh, to, to Canada in the late 1980s. So that's really, really quite significant. And, you know, as we uh, as we understand, more details to follow soon. You mentioned that size of uh, plot of land, and we've talked about that uh, here at Automotive News Canada amongst ourselves in editorial meetings. It's massive. And, and Volkswagen doesn't seem to do anything small when it comes to assembly. I mean, their Chattanooga plant, for example, is also huge. So do you expect more than batteries out of this? What What is the purpose for that land being so big when you consider that Volkswagen has massive footprints in Germany and the United States? There's a number of reasons why I think they preferred to be on such a big plot of land. One, uh, you know, land is an asset. So, so it's not like they're uh, sinking money into something that's depreciating. If the land was on offer, they, they took it. Why not? Uh, two, that allows them to do uh, a, a few things. One, they can set the actual plant far back from the road. Um, they can build windbreaks, they, you know, like they can plant trees. They can do some things to, I think, um, you know, uh, allay any concerns of neighbors about, you know, a plant being right, right in their face. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to avoid this massive new battery plant, but there are things they can do. It doesn't have to be right alongside the road. So they've got, they've got a bit of room to spread out and to, you know, to really make this work. I think that, you know, also it means that no one else has the land and that, you know, they won't have a, 
a poultry processing plant or something pop up right beside them that's going to, you know, make things busier and, and and that. I mean, it's also the case that this is, you know, likely a 40 to 50 year kind of time horizon on the investment. And if they've got that land available to them, then in five years and 10 years and 20 years, if they need to grow, they'll have their own uh, their their own room to grow. And so if you think about this, you know, we've heard 1,500 acres, and that is, you know, about, I mean, that's almost twice the size of the amount of land that, that DeFasco was on in Hamilton. So this is a this is a pretty uh, pretty significant chunk of land, and gives gives the company room to grow. Um, and again, if it's on offer, I think you take it. So, so explain what goes into a jurisdiction landing an investment such as this. What's the process like? What's the competition for something like this? And and how does a deal like this ultimately get done? What does it take? Oh, well, I mean, I think just, you know, Volkswagen showed up in February and they said, we want to put a plant here and then overnight, away you go. <laughs> yeah, if it was no, that it, easy, I, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, this, this would have been, uh, you know, I'll quote our good friend, uh, Stephen McKenzie down from Windsor, but I mean, it's a five-year, these are five-year overnight successes, right? There's all sorts of fanfare when the, when the plant is announced, but the amount of work that goes in, you know, there's probably two or three years of municipal folks, provincial folks, federal folks talking with each other and talking with the company, you know, with, with a real target in mind. But before you do that, the amount of work you have to do to get things lined up like land, utilities, workforce planning, there's just this foundation of work that I don't, that, 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 that economic development folks do at, at the municipal, regional, provincial, federal level. There's this foundation of work. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to hope that we, <laughs> we at Trillium help, uh, help them around the edges with some of that where we can, but there's this foundation of work that has to happen before someone will even consider you for, for an, a, an investment. And then what we've seen, and this is really refreshing recently is the, the, you know, getting along and showing investors that like, Hey, we're, we're, a you know, we're a, um, you know, amicable grown up bunch of people here in Canada. And when we start, I don't know if you want to go down a rabbit hole, I mean, it looks like Oklahoma was, was came in second for this plant. And if you read up a bit on, uh, you know, political environment in Oklahoma these days, it's a mess. And when you, you know, when you come here, you go, oh, hey, we got we got everything. Uh, we got our ducks in a row. This is well, pretty great. It's so. funny you say that, because if you remember uh, in a provincial election in the 2000 teens, uh, I believe it was Tim Hudak, who was sort of on the opposite side of investing in Stellantis or, or FCA at the time. And Sergio Marchione called it a political football and he didn't want anything to do with it. And then they went about it alone investing in, in Windsor. And so automakers are looking for someone, as you said, amicable. So I'm wondering what made Ontario and St. Thomas in particular so attractive? What tipped the scales? It can't just be that we're, Hey, nice, polite, good Canadian folks. Yeah. What was it that really put us over the top? Okay. Well, I mean, just, just the fact that the land was there. That's, that's um, number one factor. You gotta, ha- gotta have the land or there's, there's literally nowhere to put a plant. Right. So the land to the, the workforce and what we call the labor shed, you know, and there's, there's this idea that, Oh, St. Thomas is going to have to build 5,000 new houses. St. Thomas will gain economically from this. 
And yes, they will have to build some new houses, but everywhere has got to build some new houses. But if you look at that plot of land, 15 minutes north, you're in London, a city that is, you know, 10 to 15 times the size of St. Thomas. You've got a labor shed that stretches from Chatham to Brantford, uh, where they can draw people, where they can draw uh, their workforce from. And you've got this workforce down there that's just, you know, absolutely familiar to a degree that very few pools of labor are uh, with the automotive industry and with, with with big manufacturing, right? So all that certainly helped. You add that to the policy environment, to government support from uh, at all levels with, you know, there wasn't one naysayer government who's kind of like, ah, I don't know if we really need this. No, everyone, everyone was kind of aligned and were able to work together without focusing on, you know, focusing on their similarities, not focusing on their differences. So that was great to see. Down the road, I think we'll probably learn more too about the value of putting the plant in the jurisdiction where a lot of the minerals are going to come from. Again, this isn't going to be an overnight thing where, oh, all the, you know, ring of fire is open tomorrow, ready to serve the plant. But I think that, you know, in 10, 15 years, if that plant is running uh, a lot of Canadian mine, Canadian refined minerals, that really make, you know, that, that's going to be one of the reasons it really made this investment make sense. That was going to be my next question. What role, if any, did Ontario's critical mineral supply play in the decision-making process? And you answered that. And I want to talk about, you know, the, the need for jobs and where they're going to draw from. I mean, St. Thomas has a history of making vehicles. I mean, they had the Sterling truck plant. Uh, I believe they built the, the Ford Crown Vic at one point. So, there is no shortage of skilled labor and general laborers that go into things that are automotive assembly and automotive parts, correct? Correct. When someone comes calling, is that what they're looking for, that you have a track record, that you have a history, or do automakers care? Do they go somewhere where they just have a lot of people who can work? I think there's different approaches for different companies, for different investments. And, you know, if you see the big Ford investment in Tennessee near Memphis. Mm-hmm. That was the one I was thinking of. They went there because yeah. they had a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, they I, I mean, they went to one of the more impoverished parts of the Southern United States. And it, you know, it really calls into question that kind of, you know, oh, well, we need a high quality workforce argument. Uh, I, they, they went to the, you know, the well, they went to one of the places that had not yet received a large automotive investment. And one of the places where they know that there's, you know, an abundant source of inexpensive labor. But I wonder, you know, or I don't, I don't envy them. I don't envy their uh, recruitment people down there, the, the challenges that they're going to ultimately face. And I think when Volkswagen saw, hey, well, you know, educated workforce, lots of colleges and universities, public colleges and universities like we have in Germany, like they have in Germany, and people who want to work, people who are used to working, people who know these types of industries. And um, that must have looked really, really great in our favor. Uh, and, and, you know, different companies are going to take different approaches. And it looks like Volkswagen took kind of a a high road, high quality approach in this case. And that really lines up with, I think, what Southern Ontario has to offer them. We'll be right back after this short break. At TD Auto Finance, we know that now more than ever, digital solutions are crucial to building relationships. 
We're constantly growing and innovating to help you connect with your customers. Our industry-leading app, TD Wheels, helps connect customers directly with your dealership, giving you pre-qualified leads at no extra cost. We pride ourselves in giving you the specialized support you need to grow your business. As the only truly full-spectrum lender in Canada, our non-prime, near-prime, and fixed and variable rate prime programs all give you the flexibility you need to support customers in almost every circumstance. Our five-time J.D. Power award-winning sales, credit, and funding teams are available in local offices across the country to help you today. Contact your dealer relationship manager today or call us at 1-855-TD-AUTO-1 to find out more about our award-winning service, innovative programs and products, or even how we can help you find a floor plan financing option that suits your business needs. Welcome back to the podcast where we're hearing from the managing director of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing, Brendan Sweeney. I heard you say in a previous interview that the federal and provincial governments will likely kick in about 25% of the cost of building this plant, which is likely going to be in the realm of probably $5 billion. That's how much Stellantis and LG Energy Solution are are spending in Windsor on that similar plant. Um, We've seen government investment already be as high as 30% in some cases lately when it comes to auto investment. And it's even more in the United States in some cases where they kick in free land and tax breaks. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Justify that 25% or 30% of cost coming from taxpayer money being spent on a project like this. Why is that justified? Because the revenues from a whole host of taxes, whether it's taxes on profits, whether it's taxes on income, whether it is taxes on the consumption that will be associated with these jobs, which will pay much higher uh, than, than the manufacturing average. We expect about 40% of the jobs in the plant to, to be really, really highly skilled, you know, highly educated type jobs, i.e. higher paying jobs. That's going to pay back in like, I mean, we've got a model, we could run that, but we're, we're looking at two to three years that will recoup that investment. And, you know, one of the reasons is that the, you know, we talk about job multipliers, economic multipliers, the multiplier benefits associated with this plant or with the battery plant that's going to Windsor, you know, we're looking at a six to eight multiplier right now, the vehicle assembly multiplier in Canada is about four and a half. So this is six to eight, and that multiplier can go up if we're putting more Canadian source minerals, more Canadian source materials into that plant. So when you kind of do the math, pays off in two or three years, and and that makes a ton of sense to me, especially when that's going to be uh, an investment that you know we will reap benefits from for 40 to 50 years at minimum. Uh, it also means we have a place, and I think Greg, you and I have talked about this before, um, but we have a place for Canadian mined minerals and materials to go in Canada to be value added, to be further processed, and could be a really great way to kind of break that staples trap, that kind of, uh, you know, rip it and ship it approach that dominated Canada's uh, economy for much of the 19th and 20th centuries. So when you use the multiplier effect and you you have your models, you now have to, when you're talking automotive, particularly when it comes to battery plants, you now have to consider that they create a job in the mining industry, don't you? Big time. Uh, mining, refining, 
logistics. Uh, and it's also the case, the higher the kind of source industry pays, the more money people have to spend. And, and that, that leads to a, uh, an increased multiplier effect too. And we expect that um, we've kind of been going with this 20-20-60 rule. There's some margin of error uh, across this, but not much. But the plant will be, or these battery plants will be about 20% engineers, uh, 20% you know, technologists and technicians, people with a college diploma or, or maybe an undergraduate chemistry degree, and then 60% will be production trades, logistics, administrative, but so 40%. Um, so on one, those, the, the 60% of those, the, the folks in production and trades will have a, will be on a pretty good pay scale. Those other 40% engineers, technologists will be paid even more. These folks across the board at the battery plant will be paying income taxes. They'll have health benefits. They'll be consuming, they'll be buying houses and paying property taxes. They'll be buying vehicles. And that so this is just a great example of an investment that's going to create a number of great middle and upper middle class jobs, and it's going to provide a, a stable source of revenue for governments over the next few decades. So how many jobs, direct jobs, does this create? And then, of course, we multiply that by, you know, four to eight, maybe higher. But how many direct jobs at this plant? So if the plant, when it when it is... We expect it to be servicing three assembly plants in Volkswagen's network, probably, you know, by by the end of the decade. And that's Chattanooga. That's the Scout plant in, in South Carolina. And then wherever they put the new Audi plant. And so by that, we're probably looking at bare, bare minimum of 2,000, but probably over time it gets up to 3,000 pretty quickly. I want to end here. According to the federal government, Canada has attracted $17 billion in electric vehicle investment alone. So that doesn't include any upgrades or retooling to plants that still make parts or parts for or assemble uh, vehicles powered by the internal combustion engine. What does this number, this $17 billion in electric vehicles, what does that tell you about the Canadian auto industry right now and where it's going and what it can become? Well, you add that to the fact that a, a, a new investor, a new automaker is, is coming to town. And it means that we're competitive where three, four years ago, you know, in light of, you know, bad news at Oshawa, all that, we didn't really know what was going to happen. We didn't really know if we were competitive, but, you know, this is evidence. These are signals that we are indeed competitive, that the future is bright uh, you know, we still have a, a pile of work to do, whether it's workforce, housing, mining. But, you know, ask the folks that in 2012 who worked at the Crown Vic plant in St. Thomas who were laid off, ask them if they'd like more work to do. And I think the answer would have been yes. So we've got a lot of work to do, but I see that as a really, really, really good thing because it's a lot better than the alternative. Yes. So. Um, so let, let's get to work. This is uh, it's it's really exciting. It's really exciting. March is battery plant month. Yeah, exactly. It seems to be (laughs) for sure. Brendan, always great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks a lot, Greg. I want to thank Brendan for joining me today. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play or on our website, automotivenews.ca. 
Just click that podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.